Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? It's going good here. Winter has come in full effect. We had like three days of uh, fall and now it's like 20 degrees outside. It's crazy. Isn't that the way it always goes? We we go from really hot to just winter comes. Well, not not it, very much fall. Fall is okay. always really short now. Yes, it is, unfortunately. But it's almost Thanksgiving, and that means there are plenty of state conventions going on across the South here in the SBC. We'll talk a little bit more about those later in the episode. But you're in Texas this week uh, doing some uh, traveling for a foundation that you're on. I hope that's going well. Yeah, so I'm just here at the Heart of Texas Foundation, which uh, does a lot of work in field minister initiatives and prisons, particularly in the state of Texas, but also is uh, focused in connecting some other states to similar ministries as well. And so I have uh, some good friends, the Norwoods, who are involved in that and here visiting with them and seeing a little bit more of their work this week. So it's a very quick trip, but a fruitful one. Well, we wish you all the best on your trip, Amy. Uh, I know a lot of people are looking forward to seeing you at the Virginia, the uh, homecoming up in the SBCV meeting, as well as North Carolina State Convention meetings next week. So I know you're headed to those early next week. I'm headed to Louisiana. So looking forward to seeing uh, people back in my home state. And I know you're, you're looking forward to being back in uh, one of the states that you lived in. Yeah, last time I was at a homecoming, an SBCV homecoming, was 10 years ago. So I'm very excited. All right. Well, she's coming back, folks, up there <laughs> in Virginia. So don't call it a comeback. But uh, anyway, let's jump into the news, Amy. Something we've been talking about, unfortunately, too much in 2019 is sexual abuse in the pastorate. And we have a few stories. One, we start in Clarksville, Tennessee. This is a situation really involving a pastor search that First Baptist Clarksville is in the process of looking for their senior pastor and they have a top candidate. And since this uh, individual became the top candidate, allegations have surfaced. Uh, he's accused of abusing two teenagers when he was a youth pastor. So this is something that began to surface through social media in, in a more public way, although indications are that that I think some of the women coming forward had told some people for quite some time, but it's, it's only been public in the last week or so. And so it's just had an impact over the last several days. The candidate, Wes Feltner, is currently pastor of Berean Baptist Church, which is not a Southern Baptist congregation. That's in Burnsville, Minnesota. But he also has served as an adjunct professor at Southern Seminary in Louisville. And the development this week is that Dr. Moeller at Southern released a statement that Feltner has uh, is no longer employed as an adjunct professor there. Uh, so at that stage, it, it really became significant national story. So I guess in some ways, Clarksville has their deliberations that they are considering, but it certainly has has become a difficult situation, not just with Southern Baptists looking at it, but the Leaf Chronicle, which is the newspaper there in Clarksville. Clarksville is a small city in Middle Tennessee, uh, has also been covering this. So I would imagine it's had an impact on their community as well. So we did have a story about this in Baptist Press this week. We were able to talk to Feltner and get a statement from him. He said that he did agree with some of the facts alleged in the statements and deeply regrets the hurt he may have caused uh, the girls that came forward. But some of the accusations are not accurate, he said. The allegations are being used by, quote, a small group 
working to, again, quote, prevent the Clarksville Church from recruiting me. He said that they accused me of pastoral abuse based on events that occurred 17 years ago when I was a single young man working as a youth leader in a church in Indiana. They have widely circulated statements of two women whom I have dated with the permission of their parents when they were 18 years old. My family and I are facing a withering barrage of online attacks and personal threats. Both of the young women who came forward uh, said that their mothers had reported the allegations to the church. So there seems to be some discrepancy on that as well. So uh, there's a lot of details in the Baptist Press story. Uh, this has been covered. It's It's been in USA Today this week as well. So I encourage you to, to look at that and uh, get the full details of that. But that's not the only one we have, Amy. Uh, right. Up to Chicago we go. Charles Lyons, longtime pastor of Armitage Baptist Church, uh, has resigned after uh, a corrective leave of absence that actually began last year over a disclosure of a long-term sexual abuse of a minor back uh, many years ago. Yes. So this is it was an incident that happened in the 1960s. No criminal charges were filed at the time, but uh, it does indicate, uh, you know, and I think the the phrase long-term is, in, is important there. So it appears that it was an ongoing situation, uh, but it just got disclosed in the last few years from pastor lines to his leadership. So in this process, the the long leave of absence, the pastoral team consulted with experts. They also conducted interviews seeking to confirm that there were no accusations of sexual abuse against him during his pastoral tenure, which is important so that they could navigate any of those or assist any survivors, you know, that that might come forward in that. Um but at this stage, they have said he will not return to pastoral ministry and has been instructed not to engage in public ministry while under the discipline of the church. All right. So many of you may know Charles Lyons. Uh, again, he long-term pastor up in the Chicago area, familiar to many in the Southern Baptist world. So, Amy, we, have, we do have one more, not involving a Southern Baptist specifically, but someone, I would say, quite familiar to many Southern Baptists, John Christ admitted this week to uh, sexual sin and addiction struggles and has canceled the remaining of his 2019 tour and his Netflix special has been put on hold uh, that was supposed to release on Thanksgiving Day. So a lot of details in this one. And um, this news was originally broken by Charisma Magazine. They, they had it and it's been everywhere since then, it seems. So we had a small little write-up in Baptist Press this week as well. So if you had uh, tickets to John Christ this fall, I- I'm sorry, it's that that's been canceled. Yeah, yeah, that's been canceled. And one thing that's important about this story, you know, as you said, it's it's a little bit different than the other ones we were talking about, just in the fact that he's not a pastor uh, in the allegations themselves. But the allegations are of harassing, manipulating, exploiting, um, you know, sexting, things like that. All things that we've seen Southern Baptist pastors and and leaders. Uh, accused of over the last few months as well. Yeah, just beginning to recognize what it means to use a position that you're in. I've just seen something that was going around social media about uh, the band U2, about a, a, yeah, I a saw policy. That. Yeah, a policy that they had for years, and there was one member of the band, I can't remember which one it was. I think the drummer. Yeah, I think so. That was in charge of enforcing it, that any of their crew on the road, they had a zero tolerance policy. If any of their crew on the road were to pursue women uh, who were going to concerts, simply because they had an understanding of 
the position that they had and the uh, power to manipulate. And, you know, they kind of went into this uh, road lifestyle that they had recognizing this is not right. And uh, so seeing and understanding they had a standard like that and then hearing about this and recognizing, you know, and hearing the complaints of the women that have come forward, this is very serious. And uh, as, as you said, you know, John Christ is not a pastor, but he is someone who has quite a bit of, who has had quite a bit of influence uh, in recent years. And this is tough. It's not something that you want to set out to do to have all these news headlines in one week, Jonathan. Or in one day. Or in one day. Yeah. But sometimes these are the conversations that we have to be willing to have. Sometimes you have to, to learn about tough things. Yeah. And we don't make the news here at SBC this week. We just we cover tell the, the news. story. Yep. So some good stories to tell, Amy. It's the first of the month. You know what that means. CP. Yes, we are off to our strongest start in three years as we exceeded $15 million in October of 2019 for the Cooperative Program National Allocation Budget. The total was $15.2 million and change. Uh, It exceeded last year's budget contribution in the same month by a little over $750,000. Unfortunately, it is below the budgeted amount, but as we've seen the last few years, we typically get off to a slow start, catch up in January, and kind of ride out the, the rest of the year. So uh, I'm encouraged by this strong start to the cooperative program budget year. Uh, we are currently 5.21% over last year's contributions. I, I think that's a good thing, Amy. Absolutely. I do too. And uh, this gives should give momentum. Uh, for people at every level, whether it is the individual who is giving out of their pockets or whether it's churches who are considering their budgets or whether it's those of you who are headed to state conventions this year and thinking about uh, how the state convention will split out cooperative program budget. Uh, just hearing how things are are moving up, we want that momentum to continue. Yes. And one of the things that national allocation of the cooperative program funding does is help to plant churches. And there's a great story in the in Baptist Press this week on New England and some of the church plants that are aimed at Hispanics. There's about a million Hispanics in the New England area and only 30 Hispanic Baptist churches there to reach them. So wow. uh, Jose, Jose Nader, uh, North American Mission Board church planting catalyst who's ministering with the Baptist Convention of New England, is, is kind of the Hispanic church planting guy up there in the Northeast so he and his team are working to increase that. Uh, they, they've seen a 20% or more increase in the number of Hispanic churches in the New England area already. And that's just in three years. So just doing some great work up there. Uh, something that, you know, we've talked, New England is a, a hotbed of secularism and a gospel opportunity. And a lot of Hispanics uh, up there, like we mentioned, more than 1 million of them in that six-state area. So uh, a lot of opportunity. So be in prayer for Jose as he and his team work in New England uh, to reach Hispanics and others up there with the gospel. And uh, we also have a report from the Baptist Convention of New England, Amy. The Baptist Convention of New England met November 1st and 2nd in Hampstead, New Hampshire. They had 169 messengers and 58 guests up That's a there. pretty strong showing. Yeah, I think so. That feels like a pretty good number right there. I, I think it does. So uh, that's really good. And it looks like they had a great meeting. They approved a 2020 budget of 
$1,000. That's a decrease of 1.5% compared to the 2019 budget. Uh, their projected cooperative program giving remains the same. They also allocated 19% uh, to go to the national level to CP Missions and Ministries of the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's an increase of one percentage point from last year. And tying right into the previous story, Amy, the BCNE officers were elected uh, this year. The president is Gonzalo Guapera, uh, pastor of Primera Iglesia Bautista de Boston. I guess that's First Baptist Church in Boston. It's also the Pilgrim's Church in Saugus, Massachusetts. Vice President Dong Rundina, the assistant pastor of Word of God Fellowship, a Filipino-American church plant in Framington, Massachusetts. And uh, so it, it's kind of neat to see the, the story before where we talk about the Hispanic need for church planning up there. And then we look and, you know, Gonzalo Grappera is president of the convention. Yes, exactly. And uh, they also unanimously passed a resolution regarding sexual abuse in churches. Uh, that they strongly condemn the sexual abuse of children and other vulnerable individuals, encouraging churches not to tolerate or cover up sexual abuse and to comfort and assist survivors of sexual abuse and their families. And they pledged to encourage churches to offer training, implement safety practices, and utilize the National Sex Offender website. Yeah, that's a resolution I can get behind. Yeah, and they uh, the, and it concluded with an affirmation of their right to disfellowship churches that knowingly cover up, ignore, or fail to report in a timely way allegations of sexual abuse of minors or other vulnerable individuals. And that's important to remember that uh, we talk a lot about the SBC considering such issues, but these are issues that are considered at the state level as well as they cooperate with one another. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, down to Texas. We got a couple more of these. Uh, Texas, the SBTC met. Uh, we talked about that actually last week on the podcast. You last were week. there. I was Are there. Are you in this story? I'm not in the story. I am not part of the story, Amy. But they met and approved a $28.9 million budget for next year. And obviously, they send 55% on to the National Cooperative Program. We've talked about that. That's uh, a hallmark of the SBTC. A total of 1,029 registered for the meeting, and they had 772 messengers and 257 guests. That makes up that 1,029. They elected Kai Bowman, pastor of Hyde Park Baptist Church of Austin, as convention president. Tony Matthews, pastor of North Garland Fellowship, as vice president. And Francis Garcia, as secretary, a member of Primera Iglesia Mexicana of Odessa. And they also passed a few resolutions, Amy. They did. Uh, resolutions on Who's Your One? Uh, as well as on legislation relating to liability for disclosing sexual misconduct. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about that legislation on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, that's been a discussion in Texas for a little while. Uh, they had one on the prosperity gospel and its promotion, on racial reconciliation, and on mental health, the local church, and the need for gospel compassion, in addition to expressing appreciation for uh, the the local you know, church that was there hosting and to first responders in the El Paso and Midland Odessa shootings. All right, up to Arkansas, where 465 registered messengers representing 199 churches from across the state met in Little Rock uh, to conduct business. Uh, Manley Beasley, Jr., was elected the new president. He's a senior pastor of Hot Springs Baptist Church in Hot Springs. Ken Shaddix, senior pastor of Park Hill Baptist Church in North Little Rock, was elected first vice president. Second vice president, Jamar Andrews, who's the lead pastor of Word Baptist Church in Jonesboro. They approved a $21 million budget with 45.42% going on to 
the National Cooperative Program Allocation Budget. And they also passed a few resolutions, Amy. They did. They had a resolution on gender, marriage, sexuality, and personal identity. They also had a resolution on sexual abuse. So we're, we're definitely seeing a trend across state conventions uh, continuing to focus on that issue. Yeah. Up to Missouri, where they marked reconciliation and restoration. Remember, this is when we talked about this a lot on the podcast, a lot of the lawsuits that have been wrapped up around the Missouri entities, including Missouri Baptist Children's Home, Hannibal LaGrange University, Southwest Baptist University, and the Missouri Baptist Foundation, the Baptist Home, and Missouri Baptist University. And that has been settled. We've talked about that on the podcast over the years. They set a $15 million CP budget goal for 2020 and will allow and will allocate 40% of that on to Southern Baptist Convention national CP causes. They also amended the Articles of Incorporation and received the amended bylaws for Hannibal LaGrange, Missouri Baptist, the Baptist Home, and the Baptist Home Foundation. Uh, they bring them into line with those other governing documents, which they have approved in the past. So that that's kind of the, the genesis of a lot of the, the legal issues that have been going on in Missouri over the past few years. They also approved a recommendation regarding Southwest Baptist University and its uh, revised articles of agreement for the university to make it consistent with the convention's governing documents, uh, including like the sole membership and the statement of faith. Two things we have talked about as well. On, on the podcast, you remember they had the, uh, the discussion about the dismissed professor up there at Southwest Baptist University, and they approved eight resolutions, Amy. Those were on Christian citizenship, sexual abuse, religious liberty, racial reconciliation, prison ministry, sanctity of life. And then there was one that was uh, specifically about, you know, the kind of the entities coming together, some of the legal things being over, um, appreciation for and dissolution of the Missouri Baptist Convention's agency restoration group. So they had a group that was really focusing on bringing everything back together. And uh, they were saying, okay, they, their job is done and we thank them for their service. And so that was, um, a very personal resolution there for Missouri Baptists. Yeah. Returning for a second term of officers are Jeremy Munoz, who's the pastor at Ridgecrest Baptist in Springfield. First vice president, John Nelson, who's a pastor of Soma Community Church in Jefferson City. Second vice president, Jeff Anderson, who's a pastor at Calvary Baptist in Hannibal. And recording secretary, Chad Hodges, who's the pastor at First Baptist in Wright City. They may have had uh, maybe the, the best worship of all the state conventions this year. I mean, I'm not comparing, but whenever right. you have the Gettys, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty that's, substantial that's pretty right legit. there, right? Yes, that's yeah. pretty legit right there. I mean, how do you get the Gettys for your state convention, man? That's that's big time right there. It's in Branson. That's what it was. Everybody oh, loves to okay. go to Branson. Even the Gettys yes. love Branson, Amy. Even the Gettys love Branson. I've still never been. Oh, we got to fix that. That's more important than you going to North Dakota. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Trust me, Branson's fantastic. Love it. All right, finally, uh, some news from Georgia, where they've hired Dennis Mitchell, the executive director of the National African American Fellowship, to partner with them as a consultant uh, to work with their African American churches in Georgia. So Dennis Mitchell, as he told the Christian Index, will help African American churches more effectively engage in Georgia Baptist work and Georgia Baptist churches to have a greater appreciation of African-American churches. So really doing work on the state convention level to just connect African-American churches more into what Georgia Baptists are doing. I think that's great. So congratulations to Dennis on this new role. And he'll stay with the NAAF, 
but also work with Georgia Baptist. So that, that's pretty cool to see that happening. He's, he's currently serving with NAM as an ambassador for African American work in the U.S. So uh, good to see that. And Amy, that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right, so we're going to go to 1984 and uh, a story that I found that actually reminded me of a story we ran in Baptist Press this week. Election week, we had we had an election on Tuesday in a lot of states everywhere. In North Carolina, it was more local town elections and things, but some governor races, state level things. But one of the stories we did in Baptist Press was on some of the ballot initiatives, one in particular in Colorado on sports gambling. It's election week every year around this time. And in 1984, there was a story in Baptist Press uh, called Gambling Opponents Lament Black Tuesday. And it said Election Day 1984 turned out to be Black Tuesday for anti-gambling forces as more states adopted some form of legalized gambling than in any single year in American history. So in 1984, uh, it was the most they had ever had and voters had approved gambling proposals in five of seven elections around the country. Interestingly enough, that year, the only defeats for the gambling industry were casino votes in Arkansas and Colorado. Colorado is where uh, sports gambling actually passed this year. But California, Oregon, West Virginia, and Missouri all passed lotteries in their states. And essentially what they were doing was bypassing state legislatures because gambling opponents had focused all of their energies there. So then they worked to get, you know, all, all of the state. And, uh, so it's interesting because this is something that Southern Baptists have talked about for a long time and have passed resolutions on this. And you've talked about, you know, sports gambling in particular, which seems to be kind of the next big thing. But as you and I were talking about it this week, as the Baptist Press staff was talking about it this week, people were talking about it 35 years ago this week in SBC history. All right, Amy, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is a new email newsletter that I've started in the mornings. It's called the SBC Morning Briefing, and it includes seven notes. Uh, I've been doing it on Twitter. I think we talked about it on the podcast in the past. I've been doing it on my personal Twitter account and moved it over to the Baptist Press Twitter account now have started an email every morning. Uh, it includes pretty much a roundup of stuff that we've had on Baptist Press the day before, but also some new stuff or breaking news that kind of happened overnight that we haven't gotten to yet. So been doing that this week and uh, also includes a little bit of sports because I like that and it gives me something every day that I can talk sports about and one less news item that I have to go find. So Right, yes. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's convenient that way. But it's it's gotten some good feedback. Yeah, it has. It has. I've, I've been very pleased with the feedback. So thanks to all the kind words. So uh, even though Bart Barber is throwing shade at me on that. Twitter this morning. I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry, Bart. I'm sorry yeah, for... I'm sorry that your Cardinals lost this year, Bart, and didn't make it to the World Series. I would like to make clear, because I'm a big Bart Barber fan. I want to make sure that he and I are good. I don't have anything to do with the sports stuff that gets pulled together for that. So, well, just do you have like, I, we've not talked much about sports. I know you're, you're kind of a Vanderbilt fan a little bit. That's, that's a tough life to live. That's a a burden to bear. Do you have any sports stuff? We've never really talked much about sports. You know, I grew up in a sports family, but you know, my dad's job was in high school athletics. So I focused in a lot more on that and the Tennessee sports and, and things, but yeah, I'm a Vanderbilt fan. I'm in a married to a, a Clemson 
family. So I have a rabid Clemson fan for a husband and a daughter. And a daughter. And Good grief. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, it's the dinner table conversation. She's breaking it down. Every decision that's been made, things that happened in practice. She's got all sorts of stuff that she, she follows. So I get excited for them when Clemson does well. Honestly, I'm not an athlete that all seem to go to my brother. I just like being around it. I just enjoy that's what I grew up being around, but I don't get like super, you know, I I love March Madness. I love watching all of it. I love the sports, but I, I don't go just out crazy in one direction okay. of a team. So your favorite team is a good pasture baseball team. That's that would be correct. Yes. So pasture Christian school where my brother's a coach. So, yeah, I have to follow that in the spring. Yeah. So my, my loyalty usually ends up being fairly personal and uh, I just love being around it. So. Okay. All right. Well, that's my resource of the week. You can subscribe to the newsletter over at sbcmorningbriefing.com. Uh, you just go to that website, sbcmorningbriefing.com. There's a sign up form there. You can sign up. We'd love to have you join us on the morning briefings every day uh, here in the SBC. So also your resource of the week this week, Amy, is? The Go-To Conversation, which is a webinar uh, that will be on November 14th with pastors J.D. Greer and David Platt, specifically focusing on how college students can play a strategic role in missions and church planting through the Go-To Initiative. So this is this initiative that has been talked about a good bit by the SBC president, J.D. Greer, really focusing in on asking college students to give uh, the first two years after graduation to ministry, either by going to a city where there is an active church plant and helping a NAM church plant, or uh, by going through the journeyman program at the IMB. And it looks like, I mean, there's quite a bit of uh, of momentum for this. Several college ministries and uh, churches are already signed up for it. So I think it's going to be a, a great thing go to years.net. Uh, that's the number two. That's the address for the live stream. It's going to be at 7.30 Eastern time on November 14th, but we'll have that link in the show notes to uh, to share. Over 100 collegiate ministries are already registered, so there's still time. That's really cool. And they're doing it at night, so college ministries that meet on like Thursday nights can watch it. So that, that's the whole point of it. So if you're wondering why that time, that's that's the reason. And yes. kind of a neat uh, coincidence, I was actually in a meeting, an all-day meeting yesterday over at Lifeway with a handful of leaders from around the Southern Baptist Convention who do college ministry, who are part of uh, national entities, state conventions that are involved with college ministry about GoTo and about how to really help give it some momentum moving forward. I really do think that this could change how we do ministry and what happens in the SBC because the the touch points that it affects. Uh, when people do go to, they're more likely to be church planners, more likely right. to be missionaries. It's basically a, a recruiting system, a farm club for both NAM and the IMB. Right. The as it comes, Yeah, it is the yeah. pipeline. The pipeline's tremendous. So Dr. Floyd did a conversation on the CP stage with... Uh, with J.D. Greer, Paul Chitwood, and Kevin Ezell about this in the summer in Birmingham. And Paul Chitwood said that, that something like, you know, a, a really high percentage of their uh, of their long-term, of their career I missionaries. 30 or 40%, something yeah, like some, that? It was, it was really significant. It was substantial. 
right, that they're career missionaries that they started out in the journeyman program. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah. So check that out. Go to it. it it's really something it, that I would encourage if you have somebody, maybe if they're not even wanting to go into ministry, but really involved and really want to be involved in church work, they're in college and they're they're thinking about what to do next. This is kind of that what's after college. Why not take your degree, take your your passion for your job and your passion for Christ and put those two together somewhere uh, for the, the sake of the gospel. So uh, just a really exciting opportunity here, and, and we're working on trying to, to link those opportunities with those who are wanting to go. So check out GoTo. You mentioned the, the website over there, gotoyears.net slash webinar is the address for the webinar. So, all right, Amy, before we go, do want to mention that this Sunday in the SBC is Disaster Relief Appreciation Day. So for all the blue shirts and yellow shirts out there in our churches, we want to thank them for what they do and, and helping in, in disaster relief and also want to appreciate those this Sunday. We definitely want to celebrate that and show our appreciation for the disaster relief workers all across uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, working through their state conventions uh, in a number of different efforts. Yeah, this year they've had more than 4,000 hours of service through disaster relief, have shared the gospel close to 4,000 times, and, and that has led to more than 840 professions of faith. So uh, a very, not just disaster relief, but also, you know, gospel ministry out there as well. So thanks to all of our disaster relief uh, workers, volunteers. Uh, we really appreciate all that you guys do. We talk about them a lot here on the podcast, especially after, you know, these natural disasters. But a lot, it's a lot more than just that. So thanks again to Disaster Relief. Be sure to appreciate them in your church service this Sunday. And we'll see you next week. See you next week.